Please remain standing for the reading of Scripture today out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We read verses 11 through 32 out of familiar parable, one that is entitled the parable of the prodigal son. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to, and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he, while he was still far off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a younger goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So today we continue our stewardship series entitled Defying Gravity, Breaking Free from the Culture of More in the Kingdom of Self. And last week we talked about another wealthy young man who couldn't break free from his own wealth even to become a disciple of Jesus. And so today we continue that story and we go to another parable and another story in Scripture and this, in fact, week is titled Breaking Free. 
So this young man in the parable that Jesus uh, told was about uh, the love of a father. And the young man is the younger of, of two sons who, who feels the force of financial gravity weighing him down so much that he goes to his father early and asks for his inheritance, uh, which is very disrespectful, very degrading to the father. And uh, it, not only is that personally degrading, but the town and the community would have looked further down on the family because of this action. So you have to understand the, the gravity of the situation. So you can imagine how the rest of the family would react to this young man's request to have his inheritance early. The anger would probably be as high as the hurt was deep. You know, there's something about parables that we have to understand. The parables that Jesus taught put people in specific and peculiar scenarios, scenarios to make a specific point and to try to make it as clear as possible. The young man wanted to fully pursue the kingdom of self. He must have felt that force with such strength that he decided to take the jump that he knew was wrong and go and fulfill that pull. And he fully experienced that kingdom of self in a distant land. So having spent his life in a fairly confined space, he finally felt the freedom to break free. How many of us, specifically, or how many people you know, who grew up in a tight-knit household, and as soon as we get to college and move out, what happens? Life explodes, and sometimes it's not a pretty explosion. Can anybody testify? <laughs> what he didn't know, though... And what we don't realize when that happens to us, what he didn't know was that he was about to get sucked in to a black hole. Do you know what black hole is? A black hole is a place in space where the force of gravity is so great that nothing, not even light, can escape the pull which is why black holes can often uh, be felt through measurements in space, but can usually not be spotted with the naked eye. Once something enters the gravitational field of a black hole, the effect is dramatic. The kingdom of self is a space full of black holes. For many people, money and the things that it can buy uh, buys produces a level of gravity to which we sometimes just simply cannot escape. And one of the worst combinations 
in this regard is to place a large sum of money in the hands of a person with low spiritual and emotional maturity. This is exactly what happened to the young man in our story. His spending choices were predictable, as you would see with any young man who is turned loose with any kind of money in their pocket. You know, as I've already alluded to, most of us can understand the problem that he faced. He was anxious to be independent. He was immature. His vision was limited to a brief few hours in the future. His impulse control was so weak that all the options and ways to spend daddy's money must have looked equally inviting and inspiring. He lived fast. He lived large until it was all gone. And then he stumbled away in regret. And when a famine set in, he couldn't even afford to feed himself. The once rich young man eventually returned home. He knew he deserved his father's wrath. But he was hungry and he was desperate. And when we're hungry and we're desperate, we'll do anything, even go home. And I'm sure that's what this young man was thinking. So his thought was not to go back to his father and ask to be his son again. Because once you receive your inheritance, you are no longer your father's son you are your own person. So he decided to go back home, not to ask to be his father's son again, but to work his father's fields as one of his slaves, as one of his employees. And if you picture it in your mind, as he walked up the familiar road home, he was amazed when he saw the elder man running towards him, now, I don't know about you, but if I saw my parent running towards me after I had been gone on a less than desirable spending spree, my first reaction would probably be to run the other way because he's coming to tan my hide, even at that age. Can anybody else relate? You've got to understand something else, too, about the culture of the time. It was beneath the older men, especially landowners and wealthy men, to run. Literally, to run. It was beneath them to run. It was not a dignified thing for an old man to do. Much less run towards a son who had brought shame on the family. So for him to be doing this was big in and of itself. Self-defense may have even occurred in the young man's mind. <laughs> because I know it would have occurred in mine. But while self-defense may have occurred in his mind, it is certain that his father's grace did not. That's the day the son learned about his father's generous spirit. 
The father restored him to the household. He put a ring on his finger. He brought out a new and expensive robe to wear. It was a kindness he did not deserve. It was forgiveness he did not merit. And it was love that he did not anticipate. His father's generosity gave him new life. New reason for being. And instead of saying, you can't come back into the family, his father opened his arms and said, welcome home, son. Think of how this experience might have changed the father's and the son's characters. The selfish boy died in the distant land and this new man was resurrected in his place because of his father's love. We can imagine that rather than thinking about himself, he now looked to the needs of all the others. Extravagant living in in some distant land would no longer appeal to him. Being with his father, enjoying the company of his family, and doing the will of his father would now be what would bring him joy. You see where this is going? The father represents God, and that young man is all of us in this world. Most important of all, rather than simply being a recipient of his father's generosity, he now possessed the insight to be a participant in it. Just as the pool of gravitational force was evident in the prodigal's life, so too we can see it in our own. Often, uh, our prayers, even, to God are, are about things that we hope to receive. You know, we ask for, for guidance to make decisions. We ask for good health and, and recovery from illness. We ask for comfort for the bereaved and jobs and money to pay bills. We ask for, for healing in relationships along with countless other requests. Our desires, regardless of how well intended, are often to acquire or to receive from our Father rather than to ask how we can serve our Father. Now, I don't want you to to, to hear me wrong or incorrectly on this. These are exactly the things God wants us to pray for. God wants us to bring all of our needs, all of our desires to Him through prayer. So what we're not saying is don't do that. But what we're saying is do it with a new revelation. Because... There is often a moment of epiphany for Christ's followers when we recognize the difference between being just a beneficiary of God's kingdom and we start becoming a participant in God's kingdom. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. This orientation towards God's kingdom is is life-altering, it's transformative. It creates an identity founded in generosity. Generous people see themselves, see their lives and their purpose differently than people whose lives are weighed down by financial gravity. Generous people are more interested in what they can give rather than what they can get. 
we become the word that we so often use in church. We become stewards when we learn how to be generous. You know what a steward is? A steward is a person who manages another person's property or another being's property in our case. Stewards have, have broad discretionary powers over how an account is managed, over how a household is run. But they know that primarily they are servants looking not to fulfill their own self-interests but the welfare of the owner. Christ followers, we understand that we are stewards of a gift given to us by God. Our lives, full of unique strengths, talents, abilities, and resources to use in ways guided by God's Spirit, not our own self-interest. And we do so to honor the true owner of all things of this world, the creator himself, God. Sadly, many folks do not truly act as God's stewards. Financial gravity pulls us toward a deep belief that we are the sole owners of what we possess, that, that we can use it to support a lifestyle that we want no matter what or who and anybody else says. Being an owner means I can make decisions free of the control or even the consideration of others. We submit to no one when financial gravity holds us back. Most people in the United States in particular act like owners. What an owner says is, if I am an owner, then all I have is mine. And no one else can touch it. In their book entitled, The Paradox of Generosity, uh, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, the authors, review the data and find that they said, quote, Very large numbers of Americans, despite wanting to enjoy happy, healthy, purposeful lives, fail to practice the kinds of generosity that actually tend to lead to happiness, health, and purpose in life. And then they say, quote, something gets in their way. So they did a survey of 2,000 Americans, and they did some in-depth interviews to go along with these surveys to offer new insights insights into the positive outcomes of generosity and when it is exhibited or withheld in the life of the individual. And what they discovered was this, 44.8% of Americans reported during the year that they did this survey that they gave zero of their income to a charitable purpose. 44.8%. Now, this survey was several years ago, so these numbers are outdated. I'd almost hate to see if that number went up. 44.8% of people said they did not give one quarter even to that plastic funnel-y thing that sits outside of many stores. These people turned down Girl Scouts 
They, they refused high school collections, did not even slow the offering plate at church, ignored the cancer search drive, and told the Salvation Army they didn't have any change left at Christmas time. I mean, they literally gave nothing. Another 41.3% say they gave less than 2% of their income away during the previous year. So somebody do the math for me real quick. 44.8 and 41.3. What is that, 80? 86.2? Oh, I can't even do basic math. It's a wonder I even walk in a straight line. 86, 85, 80-something percent. Means that the vast majority of financial generosity in the U.S. is offered by about 15% of the population willing to give away more than 2% of their income. I don't know about y'all, but I'm scared. That's frightening. You may be thinking, well, but at least people give their time, right? Well... Time is valuable, that is correct, and people do give it. Volunteerism is extremely important to charitable organizations and to churches. In the same study done, more than 76% of the people self-reported that they gave zero volunteer hours to any purpose in the same year. Folks, if you hear nothing today, I want you to hear this sentence. Generosity is not about resources. Generosity is about identity. Did you hear me? Generosity is not about our resources. Generosity is about who we are. Stewards understand that they are custodial agents of whatever sum they administer. They manage money and assets with the thought of pleasing the owner, no matter what the amount is. In order to become a steward of financial resources, one has to accept the challenge to set aside an amount of money to invest in the work of God's kingdom. Many Christians, uh, as a way to get serious about their desire to participate in God's work, pursue generosity through proportional giving their income. And we use the teaching in Scripture that calls for a tithe as a, as a goal, and, and a tithe is specifically defined as one-tenth of an income. And for these Christians, a tithe is the first and is the best of what they have, not the last and what is left over. The tithe uh, was a practice of God that God gave to the people of Israel. The money from the tithe was used to support the worship life and the temple of Israel and to take care of the most valuable people in society. The majority of that was used to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Why would God ask them to do that? If... It's not as if the Almighty was short of money or doesn't have the power to create himself. 
So folks, listen closely. Clearly, God is not in need of our money. Yes, you just heard a pastor say God is not in need of money in church. But it is possible that the tithe requested is not for God's sake, but for our sake. It seems clear then that the tithe is intended to be a discipline that enables people to extend and to help expand God's kingdom instead of the kingdom of self. As we give a portion of our income, we become God's servants. Through generosity, we gain a sense of identity when we invest in our faith. The practice of proportional giving calls us to offer our best for God's kingdom as a way to live into our identity as stewards. You know, as, as Christians, we are called to be stewards of all that we have, from our possessions and money to our time and to our abilities. God calls us to be faithfully employed in God's kingdom. Did you catch that one? God calls us to be faithfully employed in God's kingdom. Yet all too often, financial gravity restricts and inhibits our true stewardship. We are holding tight rather than letting go. You're saying, preacher, we just had a pandemic, and you're talking about giving away what we already don't have. Many people who love God and want to honor Christ and seek the will of the Holy Spirit in their lives have often not made the move from being a recipient of, of God's grace to being a generous participant in God's kingdom for multiple reasons. The problem is often not the lack of desire or the lack of wanting to be generous. Some folks just simply cannot give. It just you simply can't do it. And that's understandable. Learning how to align our life for generosity is a process. It's not a button we can press or fingers we can snap and say, I'm going to start giving 10% of my income this week and I'm going to start it next week. Folks, for a lot of people, that is just out of the cards. It is impractical. It cannot happen. It takes a process. It takes prayer. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit and planning alongside the infusion of the Holy Spirit to get to the point where we can become generous people. So I have a challenge for you this week. Last week your challenge was to clean out a drawer, clean out a space, something in your house that just enabled you to let go of the financial gravity that that stuff was holding back. This is your challenge this week. On your weekly e-news email attached to that, there's a link for a financial planning worksheet. If you don't get the emails, let us know. Uh, then we, I'll get it sent to you. If you're watching online, you don't get the emails, put your email in the comments. I'll make sure you get added or just send us a message, let us know. There's a link for a financial planning sheet. Using it as a guide, I encourage you this week, take a look at your family budget. If you don't have one, create one. 
If you're falling short somewhere, use this to help you move to the next level. Give it some thought. Give it some work. But as you're challenged, complete that with the lens of generosity, the purpose of becoming a participant in God's kingdom. And see where you are, mark where you want to be, and pray about how you get there. Because that's how we break free from the grips of financial gravity and start living free in the realm of God's kingdom. And this is the gospel message today. And when we break free from financial gravity, it feels so good. <coughs> Picture God running up towards us arms wide open and saying, welcome home, my child. No matter where you've been, no matter what you spent, you're home and you're loved. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.